Take your Bibles and turn to chapter 1 of Acts. Etta in our uh, Connect group this morning was talking about how we are obviously in Acts in our D group, and we're going through uh, Luke in our Connect group, our Sunday school classes, our adult classes anyway. Yep, kids, good job. Um, but that, now, remember that Luke is uh, the, the prequel and Acts is the sequel. Luke wrote both of them. It's, it's one book divided into two there. Uh, but this is her third time to read through Acts because we did it as a D group last year. We're doing it as a D group again this year. She took a group of ladies two years ago or three years ago, the time's fuzzy, um, but if you also remember, I preached through Acts from May, I think, of 2017, or March of 2017 to May of 2019. So there may be something in Acts for us to get uh, that, that, that God is talking to us about. I'm beginning a new series this, uh, this month. It'll be a, a two-month-long series called uh, A Growing Seed, Lessons for a Church Reborn. We often read Acts in order to see what the, the first church was doing and to, to see, and, and church planters uh, use Acts as a model, as they should, for how to start a new church somewhere. But there, is, there are lessons in Acts for a church that is being reborn. We've talked about the rebirth of our church, uh, both physically and, and spiritually as we work through this time, and we are going to continue that theme. I had a 39-point sermon prepared uh, on Acts chapters 1 through 9, but everybody I talked to about it said, don't do that. I, I don't understand. Uh, I thought it was going to be great. So instead... Uh, in, in this message, the work of waiting, the, the first message in the series, will only be on Acts chapter 1. So what I decided to do was show you the 39 points uh, of the sermon I was going to preach. That's the, the next slide, I think, Judy. There you go. Uh, now, I want you to look at this. This, chapters 1 through 9, was our reading this past week. Chapter 1 was Friday of, of last, uh, week before last, and then chapters 2 through 9 is what we were reading uh, this past Monday through Friday. I want you to see that. I want you to look at it. Uh, it is color-coded for your convenience. Anything in black, any numbers in black, were a, a situation in the first nine chapters of Acts where the church was apparently not doing anything. Now, they were praying or they were worshiping, but they were gathered together. They were, there was nothing to be done specifically. Uh, early on, they were just told to wait. In chapter 1, we were, the, the church was told to wait. We're going to talk about that this morning. That's the verses 12 through 14 there. Anything in green is a, an active, an action part of what the early church was doing. They, they were doing something. Sometimes it was stuff internal, like this morning in Acts chapter 1, we'll look at the selection of the, the, the 12th apostle to replace, uh, the 12th disciple to replace Judas. Uh, sometimes it was internal like that. Sometimes it was preaching. 
in, in the colonnade or, or in the temple or, or around town or something like that. And all the way through chapter 9, you see in that green, it was always some action of obedience. They were doing something that Jesus had told them to do. Even in the waiting, that was obedient, but, but it was a, a waiting time. In blue is when God shows up, when God does something miraculous. God does something amazing. God does something that uh, uh, throws them for a loop a little bit. Uh, in one part of this, it will include people that lied about their tithe, just killing people who lied about the tithe. Yeah, that was the important part. That will be God's action in, is that chapter 5, I think? Yeah, chapter 5, that, um, that's God showing up. And then in red, you have times of disobedience, when the people were not doing what they were supposed to do. Chapter 5, 1 through 9, that was Ananias and Sapphira withholding or lying about what they had tithed. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1, is when the uh, Hellenistic, the, the Greek women in the church weren't getting served uh, like the Jewish women were, and that that was disobedience on the part of uh, the church at the time, and they corrected that by obedience in 6, 2 through 6. And then God showed up in a major way in verses 7 through 10. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1, is uh, when the church was, the, the, the first, uh, right after Stephen was martyred, and the church was scattered. Now, what's the disobedience there? Well, chapter 1, verse 8 said, go into all the everywheres. And by chapter 8, they are still in Jerusalem. They've not scattered. They've not gone. So God uses persecution to get them to go places. That's 8.1b through verse 3. That's God showing up and doing something. So he uses persecution to scatter them into the ends of the earth like they were supposed to be. And then chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 is Paul kicking against, uh, he says later, uh, later on in a different part of his testimony, kicking against the goat. He's, he's, he's fighting Jesus. That disobedience leads to God acting and then obedience on Paul's part. Now, what I want you to see here, what I, just, just at a glance, is, uh, and this is, this is my um, color coding. There, there's a lot more going on in all of this than just waiting, obedience, God acting, and, and disobedience. There's much more to it than that. And in any of these passages, you could probably split apart and say, well, Michael, they're doing and they're waiting. And it, yes, yeah, I know, this is, this is a general. This is a picture I'm wanting you to get here for just a second. I don't believe there is a direct correlation between... Well, let me stop for just a second. What do you see disappearing and then appearing as we move through the first nine chapters of Acts? You, you, you see the black, the, the waiting, disappearing, and you see disobedience showing up. Now, what I am not saying this morning is that because they that the church stopped waiting, that they stopped worshiping, and that they stopped praying, and therefore that led them into disobedience. There may be some of that in play. That is not the claim I am making, not in general broad brush terms. 
Again, I, I think we could argue, well, they kind of got away from some things, and that's what led them to make bad decisions. What I am going to argue this morning, though, is that because I'm, I'm going to assume starting in toward the end of chapter 4 and even in 5 through 9 and on and on, they are still praying and they are still worshiping and they are still gathering. And we see that in the church of Antioch when, before they uh, sent Paul out on the mission field. They did all these things again. They still were praying, they still were meeting, they still were waiting. What Luke has decided by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is to no longer, once we have begun to move, chapter uh, 8 especially, they've moved out into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, is no longer show all the times that they were waiting in prayer and worship. And I think his purpose is not to say when they stopped doing that, they started to be obedient, but to show how important the waiting and the worship and the praying was in the beginning stages of the early church. And to show us that waiting is actually work. It is actually, in the case of Acts chapter 1, it is a direct command to wait. Wait on the Holy Spirit. Wait until I show up again. I'm leaving now. I'm coming back. It'll be in a little different way. It won't be me. It'll be the Holy Spirit. You know, we're Trinitarian. He didn't go up one way and come back a different way. That's not what we're getting at. So, wait. Waiting was important. Waiting is a part of doing. Waiting is a part of action. Waiting is a part of God working. I don't know if you've kept up. We're, we're a little bit out of range here, I think, in South Louisiana, but my hometown of Meridian, Mississippi, is very much involved in the brood X cicadas that are about to hatch. And currently there are billions of cicadas from Florida, I think all the way up to Maine, and from western Tennessee over, sitting in the dirt, waiting for that dirt to get to right at 64 degrees, and then they're going to come out of the dirt, they're going to climb the tree, they're going to leave those fun little husks that you can put on your ears and you can put in your hair and you can hook to your clothes when you're seven, eight years old growing up in Meridian, Mississippi. And then you're going to hear the glorious, I love, I love the sound of cicadas in the trees. They will scare the mess out of you when they're right next to you on the ground and they start that buzzing. You'll think you're about to be run over by a dump truck. But in the trees, it's incredible to hear them in the evenings talking to each other. That There are billions of them, they're waiting for that 64 degree soil to push them up into the trees so they can go and live their short life, have babies, and those babies stay in the ground for 17 more years until they hatch. 142 years ago, I think is where we're at now, uh, in, in 18, was that 1880-ish, uh, a, a scientist uh, at Michigan State University by the name of Dr. Beale was trying to figure out how long seeds would last, uh, or, or how long you could wait and plant seeds. 
and then they, and they would still grow, they would still germinate. So he picked out a whole bunch of different types of, of seeds, and he put them in sand uh, in bottles. I see some Michiganders nodding. Y'all know this uh, story? Yeah, okay. I'd never heard this before until they just dug them up a few days ago. Uh, and he started off five years. He buried these bottles, uh, 20, I think, bottles, and he spaced them out on the, uh, uh, on the campus of Michigan State. And he would go and he would dig them up. Now, it, it seeds in sand in the bottle, so the, the temperature stays constant, the moisture content stays constant. And then every five years was the plan. He would pull all these seeds out, he'd plant them, and see if they would grow. And then it got to be where, all right, these are still working. Let's spread it out. It was 10 years that he would wait. Well, he died, but he passed it on to a couple of his colleagues. And they died, but they had passed it on to a couple of colleagues. And there's like three or four botanists at Michigan State. They're the only ones that know where to look. They go out at night. It looks like they're stealing stuff. They're not. They're doing it so that the sunlight and the temperature doesn't affect the seeds if they find the wrong bottle. They dig these bottles up and they plant the seeds. Now, what they found is every seed but one, I believe, has stopped germinating. But there's one, I can't remember what it is, a mallow or something. It doesn't grow marshmallows, don't be confused. But that's what it's called. Um, it still grows. There's another one that they found didn't after the first attempt after the first dig, five years after Dr. Beale buried them, they're, they're wondering about it because it actually uses smoke to, to germinate, to begin the process. There are chemicals in smoke that these seeds haven't gotten. So they're going to try this time to, to introduce smoke. It, it lives in, it was a, a, a western seed or something that, that used, and that leads to the next point up there. Some seeds actually need fire. To, to break their cone. Some pine trees create a sap around the seed, the pine cone, that has to have really hot temperatures to melt that sap. And it's supposed to be a fast-moving fire, so it melts the sap but doesn't catch the cone on fire. The, the cone pops open, the seeds blow out, and you have new trees. Sometimes the seeds actually get, just like this, this seed that Dr. Beale planted, it gets nutrients from the fire itself or from the smoke. And then the oldest known seed, this is not a new thing that they're doing here, the oldest known seed to sprout was a 1,300-year-old lotus seed. They actually got the lotus to grow. What's my point? Sometimes seeds wait a long time before they grow, before they sprout. Sometimes its conditions have, have hampered them from growing, the things going on have suppressed it and stopped it from growing. Sometimes it just needs the right conditions, and those conditions haven't occurred. It's, it's not that anything is suppressing or hampering. It's just those particular perfect conditions for growth have not occurred, and that can be the hardest time of waiting. The seed is in the ground. Lazarus is in the tomb, and we have to wait for Jesus to get there. We have to wait for the seed to be grown. Chapter 1 of Acts is a snapshot of that larger theme of waiting and obedience 
and God moving that I showed you in chapters 1 through 9. Chapter 1 gives us a clear image of that. Now, Luke introduces his, chapter, his, his book of Acts here uh, in verses 1 through 3. Uh, he, uh, when I preached on this a couple of years ago, I talked about all of this. He writes it to Theophilus. Um, we don't know who he is. Uh, but he says he's, he's writing this account to, uh, about all that Jesus began to do. That's a, a strange verb form. I've talked to you about this as well. It, it began to do meaning, means that there is more to do. Jesus started it. The disciples continue it. And it's our job to continue what the disciples started. That's why Jesus prayed on the night of his crucifixion for himself and for the disciples and for us. We have work to do. And he, he says here that, uh, uh, that after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit uh, to the uh, apostles that he had chosen, this is the, uh, the, the mention here of the Spirit connects with the, the, the coming Spirit. And he talks about the kingdom of God in these verses. And it's this repeated theme in Luke that he fulfills partially in Acts, or is fulfilled partially in Acts, but is continuing to be fulfilled. You've heard me use the phrase, already, not yet, before. And that's what he's doing here. Acts, the, the kingdom is already here, and it's not yet here. So Luke introduces his book here in verses 1 through 3. And then he gets to what I see as the work of, of waiting in verses uh, 4 through the end of the chapter. And I think we see four uh, parts of waiting. We see a promise, we see a prodding, we see power, and we see preparation. My friend Braylon would be proud that I alliterated the, 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 top, the points today. First, the promise. The promise to the church in Acts is that the seed will grow. That's the promise, that the seed, when it is planted, when it has died, when it has fallen off and gotten in the dirt, it will grow. He says to, uh, Luke tells us, while he was with them, he being Jesus, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We have the promise that the seed will grow. See, growth leads to sprouting and branching and leafing and fruiting. That is what occurs when things grow. If the seed planted does what it's supposed to do, it first creates some, gets some roots going, little little sprout that we can't see, then the sprout comes above the ground, and we know it's taking in the sunlight that it needs, but also the roots are underneath, and it's doing, they're doing their work, and as it grows, it doesn't just grow from the surface up, it's also growing from the surface down, it's going broader, it's getting stronger, and that is all part of the, the growth process that begins for a few days in the dirt where we can't see it. If you got a seed uh, from Lacey, 
It's been two weeks now, two Sundays ago, three weeks, I don't know how long it's been. You may have wondered for the first couple of days, hmm, are these seeds going to grow? Why did you wonder that? Because you can't see inside the dirt. You can't see what's going on. It's, it's a crapshoot a little bit. You're, you're just, okay, well, we're, we're just going to have to wait and see. And maybe all of them will. Maybe a few of them will. Maybe none of them will. What is going to happen? That is the waiting. Now, he tells them, he told them not to leave Jerusalem. He's actually saying, uh, stop departing Jerusalem. He's telling them, stop your restless wandering, your uncertainty and confusion. Stop, stop fretting. Isn't that what we do while we wait? We pace. We wonder. Well, I don't know what's it. I mean, it's the, it's the expectant father in the hospital, according to all the TV shows. Walking back and forth, walking back. And forth. No, I wasn't because I was in there. I had no other walk. So, but, but, you know, it, what are we going to do? Oh, no. What are we going to do? The king likes Daniel more than me and you. Thank you, VeggieTales. Stop that, he says. As a matter of fact, he says, stop it. Wait on me. Wait on the Father's promise. Wait on the promise. And then he tells us in Acts 1.8, uh, he gives us this outline of the gospel progression. It's not necessarily an order that we follow. Uh, we see in Acts, though, that Jerusalem... Here's the gospel in chapters 1 through 7 of Acts. We see Judea and Samaria hear the gospel in Acts uh, 8 through 12. And we see uh, the ends of the earth hear the gospel in Acts 13 through 28. It is the way it worked, but it's not something we just have to do in that order. But what are the promises? If the, if the promise is that the seed will grow, what is the promise here in Scripture that he's talking about? There are three of them. Did I put all three on the screen? Uh, no, I did not. So, if you want them, you're going to have to write them down. Three promises. Restoration of the kingdom, the Holy Spirit, and witnesses. They would be those witnesses. Restoration of the kingdom, the Holy Spirit, and that they would be witnesses. And I'm going to talk about the three of them briefly here. First, restoration of the kingdom. They asked the question, is this when you're going to restore the, the kingdom? Are we going to get to serve under King Jesus here in Jerusalem with you ruling the whole world? And he says, none ya. None ya business. And Lacey, I'm mean, Lacey, I'm sorry. Amy, I just realized I did not send you eight words for the kids' uh, sheet this morning. If y'all don't know, I send her eight words that I'm going to say during the sermon. And, and you may have noticed when I say a word, everybody perks up and <laughs> They're, they're tallying, and I forgot to send the words this week. I apologize. I just thought about it, um, which is late. Yes, very. So he says, uh, first, they, they say, what's the, uh, uh, when's the kingdom coming? It's none of your business. Don't worry about that, but I promise it will. It's really useless to speculate right now. He's telling them when the kingdom's coming because it, your task is too great to worry about when the kingdom's coming. You've got other things to worry about, which right now, incidentally, is to wait. And of course, the kingdom's going to be completely unlike what they expected anyway, at least temporarily, right now on earth. Eventually, it will be the, the, the very kingdom they were hoping for, but that's not it right now. So he promises restoration of the kingdom. He promises the Holy Spirit. And as a matter of fact, this is promised 
twice. He's already promised it earlier in the chapter. Now he promises it again. And the Holy Spirit will have the same power as Jesus, the same comfort as Jesus, and the same truth as Jesus. If, if Jesus was right here in the flesh showing us power, showing the disciples power, they're going to have that same power through the Holy Spirit. If Jesus was a source of comfort in trials or when things were going on in Jerusalem and they were worried and he and Jesus wasn't, the Holy Spirit is going to be that same source of comfort. If they had questions about Scripture and what was going on and Jesus, what's this about and what's that about, and he provided truth, the Holy Spirit was going to provide that same truth. The Spirit who led Jesus is the Spirit who leads Jesus. You, the Spirit, uh, the, the Jesus that taught you will lead you and teach you through the Spirit. You, we, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's, they're different, but they're the same. I'm not going to explain it. I've told you before I'm not going to try to explain the Trinity to you. That's one of those elements of faith. But you, you say, I don't want Jesus, I want the Spirit. Yes, it's a who's on first sort of thing. Watch, go back and, I introduced my sons to Abbott and Costello uh, through who's on first, so I get a chuckle just by mentioning it. It's, you know, I need Jesus, you have him. Well, that's the Holy Spirit, yep. But I don't want the Holy Spirit, I want Jesus. You got him. The Holy Spirit, yep. But I want Jesus, sure do. It's that sort of thing. It's like, okay, all right, that's what we get. We get restoration of the kingdom, we get the Holy Spirit, and we will be witnesses, he says. Witnesses with power is what Scripture says. Dynamite witnesses. But witness, the word for witness in Greek is actually martyr. You might have heard that before. If you're going to witness about Jesus to somebody, you're going to martyr about Jesus to somebody. In a little different form. but So, so the, even the idea that we use for martyr, somebody who dies for something, that is the very beginning of being a witness for Jesus. We die to ourselves every day to follow Jesus. And that martyrdom, that witnessing, would bring the kingdom that is already here but not yet here, and we would witness to Jesus and nothing else. He is who we witness to. And so we see, with these promises, we see that the seed, the promi in promising that the seed will grow, that the promises will be the result. The seed's planted. The seed has come. We are the seed. We're in the dirt. And when that plant begins to grow, we will see the promises fulfilled of kingdom and Holy Spirit work and being witnesses for Jesus. When the seed grows, the promises will be the result. The second thing we see in Acts chapter 1 is the prodding. So we had the promise, now we have the prodding. The seed needs a trigger. Verses 9 through 11 say, After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way you have seen him going into heaven. 
The seed needs a trigger. I've already talked about the fact that different seeds need different catalysts for their resurrection, but they all need something. For some seeds, it's as simple as dirt and water. I'm sure there's more to it than that, but when they're in the dirt and the water comes in and it gets the dirt muddy, the seed shell softens and it begins to grow, push out of there. Some need fire. Some need smoke and not fire. The, 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 the disciples here needed a prodding, needed a catalyst, needed a trigger. They're standing here. They've gone through all this stuff. This is 40 days after Jesus resurrected. He's shown himself to a whole bunch of people. They've had meals with him. I'm sure he's taught them more. We know on the, side, on the beach he tells them about being sheep and, and tending the sheep and all these other things. And now suddenly he's gone. And he was gone 40 days ago, but then he came back. And, but now he's gone again. So they're going to wait. They're making sure this time. No, we, we gave up at the tomb. We, we thought it was over there. We're, we're standing right here until he comes back. And it's understandable, right? They are dumbfounded by all of this. They spent three years learning from him. Then in the span of 40 days, he, or 43 days, he died, rose again, taught, and disappeared. Whew. And so they stand there and look. They have experienced, uh, they, they've had a mountaintop experience. Very much like the three guys at the uh, Transfiguration. But that's not where they were supposed to stay. The mountaintop isn't where we stay. Those are the opportunities. Those are the, 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 the chances we get to see an amazing work of God. And, 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 and we see the, the writing in blue in our lives, right, where God is working suddenly and miraculously. And, 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 but that, that, is, that is a time for us to go he can do that. So back down there in the valley, in all the mess and all the muck, he can do it there too. I can take this down there. And that's what they were supposed to do. But they were stalling. They, they, okay, now what are we supposed to do here? He's gone. We're, well, he's told them what to do. Go, wait. Go back and wait. And, and let's see. Let's look. Let's look in our scripture. It's not noted if you die, the Lord, you are restoring us. The name being sovereign. Um, witnesses. Yeah, it doesn't say how long they're going to wait. I just looked. It doesn't say wait for a day, two days, three days. They're probably thinking along the three-day time period, right? In the grave, three days, he rose. Go back and wait for the Holy Spirit. Three days. All right. So, so three days later, three days comes, and, and all right, uh, he, it, nope, didn't come. You've been waiting on a roofer for a little while. Maybe you've been waiting for a siding guy for four months, like somebody I know standing up here talking to you right now. May, you know, and, and it's next week. I got, and it's next, okay, he's going to come. He doesn't. That, I think that's what they were doing this week. These ten days, he said three days. Well, well, maybe we're figuring the three days wrong. I mean, in the grave, it was it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That remember, that's three days. It was only two nights. It was three days. All right. So, so it's really like the three full with the night. So the next day, the fourth day, <gasps> nope. Five, nope. Six, seven, nine, ten. I know I skipped a number. 
Then on the day of Pentecost, he shows up. The Holy Spirit shows up. Just when God wanted the Holy Spirit to show up. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We may have to be prodded to wait. Isn't that a dumb sentence? We have to be prodded to wait. We have to be triggered to wait. We have to be encouraged to wait. We have to be commanded to wait. We won't microwave Jesus. We won't microwave Christianity. We won't microwave church. We want to put this torn up building into a big uh, radioactive oven, close the door, hit the church button that's right next to the popcorn button, stand back and wait until the new church comes out already built. And here we are eight months, nearly nine months now, right, into it, and there's still no new church. We want the same thing spiritually in our church life. We want the new preacher to come in, and six months later, we've doubled and tripled in attendance. We've done all these wonderful things. We want microwave church. Fix it now, God. And he says, I command you to wait. To wait on him. We may have to be prodded to wait. But the day of promise, the tenth day, or the tenth month, or heaven forbid, the tenth year, whenever the day of promise comes, it's the day of promise that will fuel the fruit. Not our getting ahead of God. Not our plans. Not our ideas of how it should work. Not us going to the dirt and saying, now where's that seed again? That seed's not growing like it should. And what happens when we dig it up and disturb it and pull it out? Chances are we kill the seed. Leave it in the dirt to await the coming day. Next we see the power the progress in the unseen. Verses 12 through 14. Luke writes, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer. Do not miss that along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. There is progress in the unseen. Just because we don't see results we would like, it doesn't mean nothing is happening. Those cicadas have been in the dirt for 17 years, as I understand it, chewing on the roots of trees, getting the sugar out of the sap. For 17 years. Y'all, they're only going to get this big. I mean, it's not, it's not like they're, 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 they're going to be the size of elephants when they come out. They're, it took them 17 years to get that big? That's crazy. That's, that's, that's silly, God. Why would you? I don't know. Because he's cool like that. He makes stuff that does stuff. And that's what he is. That's what he does. But just because we don't see the results we'd like... It doesn't mean nothing is happening. See, they followed the instructions. They were prodded to wait, so what did they do? They waited. They didn't go out and try to start a church the day after uh, the uh, ascension of Jesus. He said, wait, and they waited. 
Folks, it is, I believe the hardest command very often for us to follow is wait. Wait. But Jesus, I've got a plan. Wait. Jesus, we don't have time to wait. Wait. Jesus, we're spending all the money. Amen? Wait. How do we wait? Our power is actually in the waiting on God in prayerful hope. Our power is in the waiting on God in prayerful hope. He said wait because he's doing things, because the shell of the seed is softening, because the first roots that are necessary to get the nutrients are coming down, because that first sprout is working its way through the dirt to come out to the sunlight so it can pull in what it needs to do the processes of turning chlorophyll into energy. All that is going on while we sit waiting. And they didn't know what else to do. But in fact, there was always something to do. They prayed. They were continually united in prayer. For about a week, prayer was their work. Prayer was what they were supposed to do. Prayer was the thing that God had told them by the Holy Spirit to do while they obeyed the command of Jesus to wait. When that seed is in the ground, when that seed is sitting there and it's waiting on the temperature to be correct or the amount of water to be correct, that seed is wholly dependent on God. That seed is dependent on the genetic material that God has already put in there. That seed is not dependent on us going in and breaking the shell open and pulling out, the, pulling out a root here and a root there and, and pull the stalk up. It doesn't need us. God has taken care of that part of it. When the seed is in the ground, God is working. God is working when we cannot see. And we need today, I believe, the eyes of Elisha. Or we need Elisha to give us the eyes that he gave his servant. When the Assyrian army was coming and had, or was there and had surrounded Jerusalem, it was over. There was no winning against this army. Elisha says, I believe it was Elisha, correct me if I'm wrong, but it might have been Elijah. It's one of the two. He tells his servant, Well, you can't see what I see. Lord, open his eyes. Turns out there was an army surrounding the Assyrian army. It was taken care of. There was work going on that could not be seen. There is work going on that cannot be seen when the seed is in the ground. When it looks like nothing is happening. When Lazarus is dead. There's work going on. And the final thing we see is the preparation. Verses 15 through 26 show us the preparation. During that week, after they had prayed, they decided they needed to vote in a new guy to the disciples. Jesus had set up 12. They wanted 12 to go forward. See, in the, there's progress in the mundane. So when that sprout comes up and it's this big, and let's say you're growing uh, snap beans... 
do, do you start harvesting here? I mean, we've we got to sprout this big. Do you, do you go looking for beans on that? So even, even when you can see what's happening, even if you, when you can see growth, when you can see change, when you can see progress, you're not getting fruit for some number of days still. Your tomato plants, they don't make tomatoes as soon as they pop up. You're, you, you don't look for corn on the stalk when it uh, gets just out of the dirt. Nothing works that way. So even in the mundane of watching grass grow, Right? That's our saying. I'd, I'm, I was so, I'd rather watch grass grow. Even in the mundane of watching it grow, there's progress. There's potential. There's growth. Water and nutrients are necessary. But God grows seeds according to his plan. A corn kernel grows a corn stalk in the way God made it. A, a, a bean seed grows a bean stalk in the way that God planned it. A tomato seed grows a tomato vine and produces tomatoes as God dictated. You have to plant them. They have to be in the right conditions and water and all that. But God grows the seed. And the prayer of verse 14 prepared the disciples for the work that had to be done. There was work to be done. It was mundane. It was behind the scenes. 15 through 26, there's no witnessing. There's no church planting. There's no mission work. They're just voting on some stuff. That's all they're doing. It's a committee meeting. You want to talk about mundane, right? It's a business meeting. They're electing leaders. But it was work to be done. Jesus chose 12, then 12 would move forward. This was only done because of Jesus' treachery. Uh, this is not normative for when every apostle dies. We've talked about this before. And then when they had done that, they prayed some more. They, the, the, the idea of, uh, in uh, verse uh, 24, then they prayed. So they prayed. They said, we got to do this. They chose a couple of guys. And then they cast lots. But before they cast lots, they prayed. Now, lots here were complete dependence on God's sovereignty. They were saying, no, we're not going to take a vote. It doesn't matter what you think and what you think and what you think. We are going to trust that God will choose the man he wants to choose through this process. It was very common in the day. Now, on that chart earlier... For this passage, I didn't put blue in the chart where God was working, but in, it is there. This is God showing up in what would seem to be an insignificant way. Understand, it is never insignificant when God shows up. Even in the mundane even when it doesn't look like it really matters all that much. We talk about all the time, I talk about all the time, how scriptures, and I'm not even talking about, I'm talking about entire passages, I'm talking about books, I'm talking about the way that God has narrated and navigated our four and a half years worth of, of working through scripture in sermons and in Sunday school. And, and, and all of that looks maybe to some as mundane, well, big deal. Oh my gosh, it is a huge, 
deal, that God is working those details. When you think about that our Sunday school curriculum was written three and four years ago, and yet he still dovetails a sermon on a particular Sunday with a Sunday school passage or Sunday school lesson that are from different books of the Bible. I don't know what y'all talked about in your other classes, but in our classes, obedience during waiting came up. And I didn't bring it up. And yet that was the message today because that was part of the question asked in our curriculum this morning. There, there are necessary responsibilities for growth, right? You got to water, you got to fertilize, you got to do all these things. But it is God's work to bring life from a dead seed. We wait, but we wait with purpose. God may be showing up only in small ways, but he's still showing up, and that is significant. And it may be in ways that one person can't see or two people can't see, but that does not mean he isn't showing up. We prepare the soil of our hearts, and we use the, the, the water of fellowship and the fertilizer of his word, and he does the work. Maybe you need a fire in your heart to crack the seed of salvation, or maybe you need a blunt object of pain to break the stone of your heart into soil. This is our work while we wait. The seed is in the ground. God is doing the work, and we are helpless to do anything to get the seed to grow, to come back to life, and to show fruit. So we wait. Maybe in the waiting, you need to come to Jesus. Maybe in the waiting, you, you are, you've been waiting on Jesus. You've been waiting on a sign. Jesus, tell me what I need. You need Jesus. I mean, that's, that's it. You need salvation through him. You need to admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and choose to make him your savior. Maybe you need the, the seed of salvation. It's been planted, Matthew 13. It's been planted. It was scattered, but it's never grown. It's never produced the fruit of salvation, and you need that today. You can have it today. Tom will be in the back. He'd love to talk to you about that. You can message us on Facebook or email us. Come by the office sometime during the week and talk to any of us. We would love to explain to you what that exactly means if you're confused about it. But don't wait. If you've heard a message here before, you've heard how many Sundays that I've been here at least, and I know long before that, you've heard the gospel message. Now you need to respond. Believer, are you waiting on the seed? Are you impatient with the seed? Me too. But we have the work of prayer to do while we wait. And we trust God to grow that seed. And we see a church reborn. Pray with me. Lord, thank you that you work through your word. Thank you that when we wait... You're working. Thank you that there is no insignificant work of yours. It may not look like it's a big deal to us, but God, if you're doing it, it is a big deal. 
Thank you that you continue to work. Thank you that you continue to do the the behind-the-scenes things. Thank you that even when it doesn't look like anything is happening, you're in control. And God, we pray for the day the seed is a mighty oak, that fruit is produced, that strength is its uh, characteristic, and that, Lord, we find shelter in the limbs and the branches of your church grown strong on the fertilizer of your word and the water of fellowship among the saints. God, we pray for our church reborn, that you would grow it into the church you want it to be, absent of our desires and demands. God, use us to make that so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So during this time of song, we pray, you pray. What's the seed you're waiting on? What is the, 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 the thing that's in the dirt, in the ground, and you just don't believe it's going to grow? It's been 17 years. It's been 142 years. It's been 1,300 years, feels like. But you've been waiting on that seed to grow. It may still not be time yet. But God is working. So while you wait, pray. And let's use this time now to begin to do that again. Let's stand and let's sing. Let's let God work on our hearts this morning.